Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours, the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe. And for the next hour, we'll be talking project management and change management with our special guest. I also want to say thank you to our sponsor, the PMO Squad. They are the premier provider of project management resources, training services across the U.S. Visit www.thepmosquad.com to learn more about their purpose-driven PMO and PMO as a service. For our regular listeners, you know I love bringing information to our audience to help us with our career growth. And next week, the largest free online conference for PMO leaders kicks off. It's the PMO Trends Conference. You can find that by going to pmotrends.com and register for free. So great content. There's over 120 speakers from 40 countries uh, all representing the most current trends in project management offices. The conference runs for five days, starts, I believe, on the 16th. Uh, and the content is available 24 hours a day. Uh, and I believe there's over 300 hours of content. So online conferences are great because from the comfort of our homes, we can access the content whenever we want. I'm very happy to announce I'll be one of the presenters I'll be talking about the purpose-driven PMO and empowering people to deliver results uh, and very excited to share that with the world and all of the registrants. Also, another reminder that International Project Management Day 2019, the conference from IIL, is still ongoing, and that runs through February 9th, so still plenty of time to take in all of that great content. If you're a veteran, active duty service member, or military spouse, Uh, Due to our partnership with IIL, you can get all of that content for free if you go to IIL.com and register for the conference using code VPMMA. Uh, You'll be able to register for free. Eric Wright and I are fortunate to represent VPMMA, and we have a presentation that is uh, live on that conference as well. So I'm very excited today to have a special guest with us. Barbara Troutline is with us. Thank you, Barbara, for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. If you could take a moment just to introduce yourself to the audience and tell a little bit about yourself so they can learn more about you. Sure, of course. So I'm Dr. Barbara Troutline, and for 30 years, I have been partnering with clients in a variety of industries to lead change. Um, For the first couple decades of my career, I was a combination of a change management and leadership development consultant. About a decade ago, I saw a gap in both those spaces, so created what I call the CQ system for developing change intelligence, and I'm excited to be talking about these concepts to you with you now. Yes, there you go. Your completed CQ assessment report. Excellent. Good homework. Yes, thank you. (laughs) And you're joining us, is it from Ohio? Is that where you are? Um, Actually, um, near Chicago. Near Near Chicago. Chicago. Okay, so uh, you are remote with us. We do not have an in-studio guest today, so it's just the two of us for the next hour. And I'm super excited about that because change management is such a vital, important element to project management. And I wouldn't say it's within. I think they're complementary pieces. And 
every project is a change initiative. So I'm eager to get your thoughts on all things project and change management related. Excellent. That's what I always say too, that any project is a change. So any project, portfolio, or program manager is a change leader, as I say. I say we're all change leaders, regardless of tenure, title, or role. Yep. I love it. Somebody actually uh, yesterday is having a discussion where they said we should rebrand project manager to project leader uh, Mm. because we're all leading teams, really not managing those teams as much as we are leading them. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that idea because um, I uh, conducted a masterclass at the Association of Change Management Professionals meeting um, back in um, Orlando in May. And if any project managers listening to this are interested in change management, that's a great organization too um, that partners a lot with the PMI um, to check into as well. And Seth Godin did the closing keynote. And he was fantastic because what he did is he put up the ACMP logo And he said, you should stop calling yourselves the Association of Change Management Professionals and start calling yourselves the Association of Change Leadership Professionals. I love it. And the crowd went wild. (laughs) So we're we're, we're thinking aligned. Well, let me ask, you know, I, I have here in my hands, you were gracious enough to let me take the change intelligence assessment. And I have my report in front of me. Can you share with everybody what how what this means and how do you do it and what benefits come out of it? Just give us the whole background on the analysis, the assessment. Sure, absolutely. Well, I'm sure all your listeners know their IQ or at least the range that it's in, right? And we know that IQ is so important in work and life. Um, And most folks have probably heard by this time of EQ, emotional intelligence. And it's really fascinating because what we know from research into emotional intelligence is that IQ or technical skills and abilities, like all the wonderful tools in the PMBOK and our project management toolkit, gets you in the door. It gets you the job. It gets you the position. However, What separates average from superior performers in all different types of industries, job classes, functional roles, hierarchical levels, isn't IQ or technical skills. It's EQ, emotional intelligence. And I say it's the same thing, yeah, with leading change. I think that in any role today, there's so much massive disruption, not only that PMOs are dealing with, but that we're dealing with in any industry, in any job. I believe that we all need a high CQ or change intelligence as well. And that's what the CQ assessment helps us assess. And what I like about this, it was really my first introduction to the assessment. I had heard about it from Steve Fulmer, who is a, a prior guest, who's a giant fan of yours. Yes. Uh, and we've got uh, <laughs> it's mutual. Steve coming up again in January. But I love the simplicity of heart, head, and hands, right? It, 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 you can, I can immediately grasp onto that. How, where Literally did all and figuratively of, with the hands? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Where does where does that come from? How does how did this get all developed? Yeah, thank you. Well, I am, um, uh, you know, again, I have a background. I have a PhD in organizational psychology from the University of Michigan, so I can complexify anything. <laughs> so, however, after two decades of working with clients, I realized that what we really need is simple yet powerful models, right? Simple yet powerful models. So, any change needs a purpose, an effective, you know, inspiring, um, real-world relevant purpose. It needs a process. It needs a process to help us to get from here to there, an actual executionable strategy. And it also needs people. It needs people to make it happen, right? So any effective change, any effective project needs purpose, process, and people. So therefore, any effective change leader needs 
to enlighten the head about the purpose, to equip the hands about the process, and to engage the heart around the people. So that's the bottom line with change intelligence, is that that's what we need to lead effective change. And the neat thing about it, because it is so simple, when clients, you know, individuals and PMOs and organizations kind of embrace this idea, it does create a common language to engage for change and to help align around our projects. You know, as you're describing it, it is in perfect alignment with the purpose-driven PMO that we use at the PMO squad, where we define the purpose to empower people to deliver change within a PMO, whereas so many PMOs today are governance or checklist driven and not about results, right? So I wish I had come up with the simplicity that you did. I love yours and I won't steal it. Thank you so much. No, and, and you're absolutely right. And um, uh, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's really inspiring and fun to be able to work with PMOs and, and, you know, deliver these ideas and share these messages because so many experience exactly what, what you have. Um, and why did I create this concept of change intelligence? Because we all know anyone in the PM, uh, PMO world knows about the high failure rate of our projects, yeah. right? And yep. if not outright failure, what, how they sub-optimize, right? So um, I sat back about a decade ago and I said, why is that? Why do we have such a high failure rate of change? And I really believe it's because of gaps in my two areas of expertise, gaps in the change management and project management world, that we have so much tools and mod- models and methods to help the hands, Right. You know, to to manage the change, to manage the project. And yet we still have a high failure rate, right? So what's missing? We also have a lot of tools to develop leaders, to develop change, you know, leadership capabilities. Um, uh, You talk about assessments. We have DISC and Myers-Briggs and we have EQ assessments and communication assessments, conflict management assessments. But do we really have processes to help develop this critical capability of leading change? So I put those two streams of thought together managing change, developing leaders, and change intelligence. It's all about leading change, leading change. And that's the gap it's intended to fill. But so to, to answer your, to your point that you made about the frustration that PMOs so often have, um, I think it's because sometimes an over-reliance on those tools in our tool bag, right? right. Um, and thinking that we can manage, you know, completely manage projects, right? And that's a great focus. Obviously, we need to plan. We need to be intentional. Um, we need to be detail-oriented and tactical. And yet, we can't completely predict and control. Um, projects are iterative. Change are iterative. We need to add that leadership to layer that on top of all our great project management tools. Yeah, I'm total alignment there. I, I always say the, the good project managers we can train with PMI tools and PMBOK the great project managers need the EQ and now the CQ uh, to be able to manage and not really manage, but lead the team, right? It's, it's achieving the objective that the team has, not building a schedule. That's not what a project is. Uh, so I love adding this component to my toolbox to have a better understanding of how it can influence and shape uh, our successful delivery of projects. Absolutely. That's right. And we see that at the individual level. Um, to build and, you know, to, you know, diagnose and develop individual capability. And we can also look at the team level, um, individual projects and, and, you know, the overall PMO and also at the organizational level. Uh, Because again, when clients integrate um, change intelligence into their either project management rollouts and or leadership development programs, um, that's when they really begin to get that common language and build it much more change capable um, and change friendly and change agile culture. 
So when you take the assessment, uh, just like if you take an intelligence test or an IQ test, right, you get a score. <laughs> and, yes. and the score means something. So for me, I uh, scored a 96 in heart, which my wife probably won't believe, uh, <laughs> a 66 in head, and a 38 in hands, which makes me uh, have a change leadership style of coach. Uh, yes. which with a sports background was warm to my heart to be able to know that I'm still a coach inside. <laughs> what, does that, what does that say, right? As a, as a 96, like somebody that's like really a, a strong coach, is it to help understand how all of those factors come together? Well, can I step back and maybe talk a bit about what change intelligence is and the head, heart, hands model? Of course, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would help put that um, your scores in context. So first of all, with respect to what your wife said, that's why I created the CQ assessment because how we lead change is often different than how we uh, how we lead our lives and how and our and how we lead in other aspects of our our work style. Right. That's a good point. Um, yeah. Some people are very consistent to your point, and you might be you know very heart oriented on the job at home and leading projects. Other people kind of shift because the definition of change intelligence is the awareness of our style of leading change and the ability to adapt our style to be mm. optimally effective across people's situations. So it's first awareness of our style of leading change, that specific aspect of our work and our leadership style, right? Not how we communicate, not how we manage conflict, not how we deal with our spouse or raise our kids, right? It's specifically how we lead change, aka lead projects, right? Um, so that's one thing. So it's, it's to be aware of that first. And then the second part of change intelligence is to be able to adapt our style. So it's not about changing ourselves any more than we can force change on others, right? right yeah. It's about being aware of that because what's the corollary of being aware of our own style? We become aware of other styles. We mm. become aware that we have options as leaders and the more options we have, the more power we have. And obviously each of us has a head, a heart, most of us have one or two hands, right? Yeah. So we can do all these things, right? Um, nobody's ever scored a zero on any of the dimensions. Nobody's ever scored at the top of the scale, right? We all are blends. And so the, the beauty of it is that awareness of when those strengths, like you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Awareness of when you have a nail in front of you. So leveraging that heart and that coach skill, right, is really going to benefit you. However, sometimes we have we need a power tool or a wrench, right? You know, we need to enlighten the head or help the hands. We need to adapt our style. That's the essence of change leadership, and that's the essence of CQ. So essentially, the bigger the while you can be a carpenter and have a specialty, the bigger your toolbox, the better you can adapt to the project at hand. Whether you're building a house, building a shelf on a wall or building something to to play with, right? You have that ability to reach into the toolbox, pull out a different skill for that particular build. Absolutely. And so, of course, all of us have our kind of dominant style or go-to style or preferred style. Um, so we're probably really known for that style. That's why people probably really value you as a PMO leader because they know that you have all the technical skill in the PMBOK and the PMI toolkit, and you also have that ability to engage and enroll and communicate with and collaborate with people and build teams, right? That's what you really bring. That's probably a distinctive competent that is very obvious to others in you and that really energizes you, right? You can do those other aspects of managing projects and leading projects. However, it might be like driving a car with the brakes on, right? Yeah. It might not motivate, energize you as much, 
Um, but, but we have to do it just because we have a style doesn't abdicate us, right, from those other critical aspects of leading change. Um, but it's important to know what our go-to style is um, because of some things that neuroscience tell us, tells us. Would you like me to take a step back and talk a bit about the neuroscience of change? I love the neuroscience, absolutely. Yeah. So again, I'm a psychologist by training, not a neuroscientist. Um, So if anybody is interested in this topic, I highly encourage you. And I reference this in my book, actually, Change Intelligence. Um, Some of the great work that's done at the Neuro Leadership Institute by David Rock and his colleagues. Also some great work that's done at the um, Academy of Brain-Based Research. And basically what the neuroscientists tell us is that what they do is they put electrodes on people's brains and they studies what happens to their brains when they introduce a change. So apparently, what happens when neuroscientists put electrodes on people's brains and introduce them to a change is that the same neuroreceptors fire when people are introduced to a change as when they're in physical pain. Really? Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. So in a very real sense, to our brain, change equals pain. Hmm. I, I guess when you... You step back and think about that for a moment. That kind of makes sense because the, the the it's the unknown, right? I mean, change is something that is not uh, recognized to us, right? And that for a lot of people is painful. Yes, and so again, some of us are much more change friendly than others, right? But again, think about how we learn to adapt to survive, right? You know, we like stability, we like consistency, we like being in control, we like knowing what to predict and what's to come. Um, and change threatens all that. So change can be very threatening to our brain. Um, and actually the same, again, neuroreceptors fire. So I think right there, that's really empowering information for any PMO leader, because it says that resistance isn't bad and wrong. It's not a, it's not a sign that we're doing something wrong in our projects. Actually, it's normal and natural and we should expect it and maybe even surface it, honor it, explore it. As, as, as change leaders, we should, one, one thing I say time and again is that we have the opportunity to reframe what looks like resistance in other people from our enemy to our ally. It's actually a powerful source of information that we can use to change the only thing that we can, which is ourselves, to adapt our behavior. Yeah, I love that because, again, as we gain more experience as project managers, we start to, at first we start out and we're going to build the perfect schedule and we're going to get the risk log set up the proper way, and we're going to manage it purely technically to ensure that we're going to deliver everything, and then we fail on every project. And then as we gain more experience, we start recognizing, hey, there's actually a business purpose to why we're doing this project. I'm going to focus on the purpose, and we fail some of the projects. And then as we get to be gray-haired like some of us, we then say, you know what, it's about the team that's running the project to achieve the business purpose, and I can use some tools to help us achieve that. And when we put all those things together, the wisdom allows us to be able to handle the change more appropriately. And I think that ties into what you've been sharing with us, right, is the ability to understand how to react to the pain or the change. We gain experience. We are able to deal with that better. Absolutely. And so you are just describing the journey that so many <laughs> project managers and PMO leaders that, that find my work um, have been through. 
um, when my uh, uh, book was uh, was published and the assessment was published in uh, 2013, one of the first groups to really resonate with it was the Project Management Institute and its members. Um, and why is that? I believe exactly for the reason you just said, that there is can be so much focus on the tools, right, the hands of, of managing projects and uh, focusing on the tactics, how to get from here to there, which is super critical and we need that, right? And in some ways, like you said, it's table stakes, right? Um, Why do projects fail? Um, So we have the hands uh, and we have a lot of experience and knowledge about that and we can do it. However, why do projects fail? Uh, Because maybe a lack of the head. Have we really hooked and hinged our projects to the business strategy, to what the leaders care about? So it continues to get funded and sourced and sponsored, right? And have we also engaged the heart? Have we really led our team effectively? And have we really engaged the you know, end users, for example, or cross-functional uh, team members to really be able to partner with us towards the goal? So that's head, heart, hands, and action. So, um, so yeah, so uh, uh, exactly the journey that you just described is, is the journey that so many go on. Yeah, and I know, I think for our listeners, since we have listeners in all three aspects or spectrums within that journey, you know, find yourself in that journey and recognize where you're going and maybe get the training. Don't wait for 20 years of experience to gain the wisdom. Go seek out this sort of training in advance and be a heart leader sooner in your career uh, to then help you be a more successful project manager. Yeah. And again, we need all three. Um, and the opportunity is to really kind of understand and, and appreciate, become aware of your preference, your style, and then to be aware of how sometimes maybe your style. Because another thing, getting back to the neuroscience of change, is that um, uh, what happens when uh, when we get resistance on our projects, right? We get into fear threat mode too. Mm, <laughs> so the point. same thing, just like our projects can, uh, you know, uh, 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 evoke that in our in our uh, people that we're working with. The same thing can happen in us. As, as change leaders. And so what happens when we get into that fear threat mode? Um, we get in that fight, flight, freeze mode, right? Um, so all the good stuff that feeds our brain, the oxygen and the glucose gets sucked past our necks so we can fight, flight, or freeze. What all those reactions have in common is that just when we need all our smarts the most, right? Yeah. Uh, we, we get dumber. Change literally makes us dumber. <laughs> our IQ goes down because we get, as we know, when our brain gets into fight, flight, freeze mode, we get less creative, we get tunnel vision, uh, we get less innovative, we go to the solutions that have worked for us in the past, right? And we go to our strengths, in other words, and we don't do them well, right? We don't do them well, or we overdo them. And that's why, that's when people start feeling like we're pushing and forcing. We start off with the best intentions when we're leading our projects, even if it's a difficult change or a difficult project, we know we need to make them for the benefit of the organization. But when we start getting that resistance, right, instead of being in the mode of doing something with and for others, right, we often get in that mode of of feeling like we're doing something to them or against them or even in spite of them, right? And that's what sometimes ends up happening, that really what looks like resistance out there in other people is a function of how we're leading as change leaders. Yeah, when we go into organizations and observe project managers to in an attempt to help the organization deliver project management better, I always observe first just to see what they how uh, folks behave in their natural environment. And what I almost always see 
is an immediate emotional response um, when somebody pushes back on something. So it could be the project manager presents a new schedule that's very fact-based and makes sense, but the business owner who receives that schedule says, hey, you know, thank you for the schedule update, but we can't be late. And the project manager immediately goes into fight mode and they start defending what they did, not listening to what the, the words were that the business leader had shared with them. And this happens regardless of industry, regardless of experience. It's one of those things, again, where PMs haven't been trained in these skills, right? They get all the, the technical skills, but the, the skills that you're talking about, how do we bring this skill set and this training to an audience that really needs it? Absolutely. So that's um, that dynamic that you just described is, 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 to your point, I see that all the time too. That's one of the reasons that I created CQ. I always say that in the stress of change, when your IQ is going down, yeah. building your CQ <laughs> is like putting your oxygen mask on first. Right. <laughs> you kind of recognize that knee-jerk reaction that you're having. In neuroscience, they call it your amygdala gets hijacked. Oh, boy. <laughs> the amygdala's in your limbic system. It, you know, again, when you get in that fear threat mode, it's called the amygdala hijack, right? You right away go into that survival mode, right? Fight, flight, freeze. You push back, you defend, right? And so building your CQ reminds you to breathe. To breathe, let the oxygen, the glucose get back into your brain so that you're smarter, you see options, right? And again, the more options you have, the more power you have because you can reframe that resistance. You can looks like resistance as a powerful source of information. So you can sit back and you can say, what is this person's real root cause issue? What are they really looking for? What do they want from me? What's their fear? What's their concern, Right. And so often what looks like resistance in others is either that people don't get it, right? And that's the opportunity for you to add more head, help them see the vision, help hook and hinge your project to their goals, right? Or they get it, but they don't want it. That's right. (laughs) Right? Maybe they, you know, there's some emotional level resistance, change into the emotional journey. They they fear it, they're threatened by it. They don't feel like you have the credibility. They don't feel it has the credibility, whatever it is. They sense some, um, some loss there, right? They have some concern on an emotional level, or they get it and they want it, but they can't do it. There's so many things. There's so many, either people have had the one-off training class. To your point, we've checked that box, but they really need coaching. They really need follow-up. They got the quick reference guide, but they have no idea what it really means. It's clear to you. It's not clear to them. Or maybe there's systemic barriers, process barriers, standing in the way of good people behaving consistently with your project. Maybe they're reward systems. Like you said, maybe other schedules that they need to meet, other constraints that that you have no idea about. So reframing that resistance, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're sensing, what you're intuiting from this pushback that you have to then push back against to information that you can sit back and you can get out of judgment, right? And into curiosity and ask some powerful questions, build that relationship with that person because relationships get results, right? Um, Then you are much more powerful and less stressed and frustrated also. Yeah, I I always tell folks, slow down, right? Your brain's going faster than your mouth is and don't (laughs) speak with your brain, right? So slow down, let your brain relax for a second uh, and then be able to come out and understand that every project I always, I come back to, uh, we as uh, husbands or wives or mothers or fathers live life and we understand in stories. So I always mm. say, turn your project into a story. 
and understand mm. that most often the project manager and the stakeholder want the same outcome of the story, right? They don't want, one doesn't want to have a, a drama with a bad ending and the other wants a comedy. They both want the same story. But within the story, there's different acts that take place. And those are where the variation results in. So if you slow down and remember the story you're in and that the stakeholder wants the same outcome, now you find the common ground to be able to go deliver uh, for that particular situation. Uh, so it's that, I think you're saying the same thing and understanding, but in my context, now I have some uh, physiology and psychology to relate to that actually explains what I've always thought of uh, when I'm out there training and working with teams as well. Absolutely. And so there's this, there's some other things from core psychology that really support everything that you're saying. Um, and so one thing I do, one change intelligent tool that I have that I work with clients is a CQ-based storytelling tool. Mm. And so, you know, any change, any change story needs the what, why, who, how, right? Yep. Needs the, the head, the heart, and the hands, right? So what I'll often do is I'll work with um, a PMO or project team to create the, what I call the skeleton of the change story that fires on all those cylinders, helps the head, helps the hands, helps the heart, right? Um, talks about, you know, what's happening, why it's happening, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, who's going to do what, what I need from you and what I commit to provide you, right? That's kind of the skeleton of the story. Then what I encourage each individual leader to do, project manager, leader at any level, is add the heart to that skeleton. Mm, yeah. To customize the story in their own words, right? What it relates to them, why it's important to them, really personalize it, customize it so they can tell the story in an engaging way because change is an emotional journey, right? Absolutely. And so, right, and that's how you connect with people at an emotional level. And on top of that, the benefit is then to help other people see themselves in that story. How can you make other people the hero of their own story, right? Um, because again, I love the expression that people don't change based on the information that you provide them. People change based on the insights that they derive for themselves. Oh, I like that. So you can, yeah. yeah, right? So you can, I wish I made that up. I didn't, but I love it. <laughs> and it's so consistent with what we're saying, right? So that's what we often get tripped up about is that we think that we're, you know, these cognitive thinking beings, right? You know, and, and we are, we have, you know, pretty big cerebral cortexes. We're all pretty smart. Everybody's got a pretty high IQ that's listening to this, right? And so we love data, we love information and we're business people. So we think that's what's going to encourage people to change. And that's what we should do objectively to, to foster change. But in fact, how our brains also work is that we get a sensation from the outside world. It first goes to our reptilian brainstem where we perceive it. Then the sensation goes to our limbic system, the seat of our emotions. So we feel about it. And then it only then does it go to our cerebral cortex, which is where we think. So in a very real sense, our emotions mediate all our thinking. So therefore, we, we have the opportunity, I think, not to stop sharing data and information with people. However, perhaps to stop diluting them mm -hmm. with dry information that only talks about the business case and really starts getting it more the emotional, um, uh, the emotional case, let's say, or connects with the emotions at the human level. I think will be much more compelling and um, uh, and engaging when we learn how to do that. So the you know one of the reasons, I guess, actually the only reason I did this show was because I I had personally experienced a gap in our industry to be able to get information out to the masses myself one of those people within the masses that wasn't technical based skill sets. 
And I said, I'm going to invite guests on that can help us broaden our, our reach. And I, I guess in a roundabout way, you've probably done the same thing with your book, and you've mentioned that a couple of times. Can you, can you share with us like why you did the book and, and what it's about and, and give us a little more insight into that? Sure, absolutely. Well, I wrote the book because I thought that, you know, I had something to say that would help people, right? I'm a psychologist and and that's what, you know, my passion is. And and again, sitting back and really thinking about this high failure rate of change and noticing the gap, right? Noticing the gap um, and, and wanting to fill it, wanting to close that gap um, in terms of really helping um, everyone who wants to you know, manage, shall I say, more effective projects and change and everyone who has a passion about developing leadership capabilities, right? I just really noticed a gap in diagnosing, developing, um, change leadership capacities for individuals, teams, and organizations. So it's towards that end in terms of, um, you know, really helping people. Perhaps what it might be interesting now is to cycle back to what you asked earlier, Joe, about your CQ assessment results and scores. Um, And perhaps people can get a taste of their own CQ right now um, by having me maybe go through what it means to lead from the head, the heart, and the hands, and what it means to be then, um, you know, the, the the change leader styles that you talked about. Would that be helpful? Yeah, I think uh, everybody would get great benefit from that. Okay, so um, so first of all, let me talk about what is, so when I talk about change intelligence, the definition is the awareness of one's change leader style and the ability to adapt it. So the big three change leader styles are head, heart, hands. So the first style of leading change, which is your dominant style, is leading from the heart. So uh, folks who lead from the heart, what's on their radar screen when they lead change are the people, the people and the teams that are effective. So therefore, like you've just been talking about, Joe, very communicative, collaborative, you like to engage, you like to build teams, you like to build trust. That's a strength, right? Those are all strengths. Yeah. Um, however, one of the key parts of the model too is that any strength overdone is perhaps not so much a strength anymore. So I'd love just to hear from you. I'll put you on the spot. Yeah. Um, how have you seen that at times maybe that significant strength, this is a strength-based model, can at times transition into being an overdone strength or alternatively a blind spot? Because any strength, again, if we're so focused, for example, on people, sometimes we can be blind or at least downplay or neglect, overlook other aspects of the change process, especially in the stressful part of change. So I'll let you speak to that. Yeah, I I think uh, where we have some of those experiences is we build relationships with people and sometimes those relationships form prior to or become stronger than the project we're working on. So mm-hmm. they become friends as opposed to coworkers. Uh, and we meet with them outside work and we enjoy their company and we want them to succeed probably even more than the project does that we're working on. But then we have to assess the work they're doing on the project. And sometimes they're not keeping up with what they need to be able to accomplish and I I know me personally, I think back through my career where I've given those friends maybe the benefit of the doubt more so than I did others. And it was at the detriment of the project. And we ended up not achieving what we could have because I didn't want to jeopardize that uh, trust in that relationship that I had built with people. So I think that's I think that's kind of an experience that matches what you're describing there. And that's unfortunately that happens because we're all people, right? And we all have a heart. 
Uh, Absolutely. And that's a very common overdone strength of a high heart change leader, as I say, that, um, you know, again, we know I'm a high heart change leader, too. So we know that relationships get results. So we spend a lot of time nurturing um, relationships. And to your point, one thing I always uh, coach people about is that um, as a psychologist, again, any human behavior can be plotted on a bell curve. Sure. And us high heart change leaders, we're on the side of the bell curve that we want 90, 95% of the people on board and comfortable <laughs> before we move forward, right? Other styles, maybe they're okay if they're the only one on the train before it leaves the station. So we really can sometimes over-index on um, taking care of people and their emotions, empathizing for their situations, sometimes hesitate to challenge and confront, Right and get people out of their comfort zone, which is such an important part of change, right? Sometimes we can enable people in not the positive sense of enabling and challenging them, but maybe more in the negative sense of kind of coddling, like caring too much, right? Um, for fear of disrupting the relationship. So, um, so yeah, so that's a very common, uh, um, overdone strength of a high heart change leader. And the other thing to your point that you said that can be um, a blind spot sometimes is because we're so focused on the people, right? Um, sometimes we can take our eye off the prize of the change goal, right? And yeah. we could, um, uh, we cannot move as forward as quickly enough, uh, because we can always have another meeting, right? Do another pulse survey, right? Um, and so sometimes we can frustrate other styles who want to move forward with a much greater sense of urgency, right? Yeah. Um, do you relate to all that? Absolutely. And, and I always, uh, on the shows try to relate to take a step back from the project world and, and step into the world we all live and sports plays a big part into what so many people enjoy. And I hate the Dallas Cowboys, but there's a, a scenario <laughs> I think that exists right now where Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys has a very close personal relationship with their head coach, Jason mm. Garrett. And the Cowboys mm. are having a, a season where it's, it's not going as well as all the experts predicted they would do. And Everyone's wondering why hasn't he fired his coach, and ever and now everyone is in the discussions is talking about well they have a personal relationship, so he's probably going to fire him at the end of the year. But had he fired him during the year and brought in a different coach, that new coach may have gotten their team to perform better. But he's doing it uh, at the detriment of the team by not firing him. So mm -hmm. it's not just in the project world that we deal with this, right? Professional sports and other things that we all associate with. If you're a fan of the Cowboys, you're pounding on your table saying, listen, I can see it. How come the owner can't? Well, the owner can't because he's too high on his heart right now and not enough of his head. Yeah. And again, that's a change. He's leading change. He's leading his organization through, right, changing times. And so, again, that's some one way that we can suboptimize if we if we over index on any one of those um, strengths, they can transition from a strength to an overdone strength or even a blind spot or a weakness. Um, so that's the first style. The second style is, to your point, folks who do focus on winning and the goal and achieving the result that those folks lead from the head. And so what are their behaviors? Well, they're very visionary, they're strategic, they're big picture, they're future oriented. They're the type of change leaders and, and PMO leaders who love to look outside their organization on the horizon, look at the innovations and the trends, and the technologies coming online and how we can bring that into our organization. Um, so obviously that's a strength. Any, you know, some definitions of leadership are all about that visionary leadership, right? Um, however, how can that strength be overdone? Well, sometimes again, they're on the train and the train is leaving the station and they look around and they look behind them and nobody else is on board. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen that. Of course.
Yeah, yeah. We, we look and at- even when PMOs are launched, sometimes right that happens. There's so much enthusiasm about this shiny new object, this you know new toy, this PMO, right? And I'll launch it, and you know, and and wait a minute, where is everybody? <laughs> Why isn't the organization behind it? It makes so much sense. Why don't they see the gold in what I'm giving them? Is like the common frustration that I hear from high head change leaders. Oh, yeah, I, 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 this shows the evolution of people. I have referenced on the show more than once. My first PMO that I ran, I was, I think, at that point in time in that situation, a high head leader, and I was done. I was, I was out there. I was uh, trumpeting the PMO, and there was nobody next to me. I was like, <laughs> yeah. "Where, where is everybody? Why is this not working? Why am I the only one out here that understands this stuff?" And I didn't use hands or heart as much as I needed to in that situation. So, I, uh, I guess I've evolved as well. Absolutely. And people can change and evolve over time. Some don't, right? And there's no, again, there's no prescription that you should theoretically, right? Some people have the same style their entire careers, like I think I have, for example, um, where others do evolve based on their, um, you know, evolving experience or shifting roles. So it's not good, bad, right or wrong. It's just what we've learned. The other thing that your, your personal example shows is that, you know, you could have remained in that high head change leader style category, right? You could still be there, what would you have learned though? You would have learned that I would benefit from having a high heart member on my team, right? Yeah, good that point. remembers to engage and communicate and enjoys that and gets energized by it, right? Um, so that's the other option. We don't, no man is an island, no woman is an island. We don't have to do it alone, right? We can, in areas that we're weak or we don't enjoy, we can seek partners who have those complementary skills, which is one reason that this is such a great process to do with your team. Right. Because you know where, um, you know, the team profile, you know, just like you got your individual report, you know, the team report. And that's uh, that's very powerful to have that understanding of your complementary styles. And that's another reason why this is simple. Right. And at the same time, it's powerful because it leads to actions that you can take as individuals and as teams to be more effectively, more effective individually and collectively. I love it. So the third yeah. the third is the high hands. Yes. Yeah, so sometimes, um, just sticking with the with the head for a minute. Sometimes, uh, again, people do get on board with high head change leaders because they can be pretty inspirational and charismatic in sure. painting this picture of the future. People want to go along, but sometimes the train derails because they don't show them how to get from here to there, right? And so that is the third style of leading change: is how do we um, the hands? How do we really execute this? The, the mantra of the high hands change leader is let's get it done. Right. <laughs> they love to figure out how to get from here to there. Um, they're very process oriented. They're very tactical. They're very detail oriented. Uh, you know, they love all the tools in the project management toolkit. Um, you know, one, one high hands change leader said to me once, I, I check a box and I want to jump up and down. <laughs> it gets them so motivated, right? Yeah. Um, however, wh- how can that be overdone? Well, just in that way that sometimes they can get in a change by checklist mentality right? They're efficient, but they're not really effective. They, they've, they've achieved the plan, but not the goal. And then also they can get, so they can have their heads down. They, you know, sometimes they can get frustrated. The world is pivot and they need to change their plans. Um, also they can get frustrated with those pesky people emotions and team dynamics and organizational culture, uh, because they can be, they're very analytical, very logical, very objective. They can say, here's the plan. The plan makes sense, right? Not realizing that people own what they help create. And sometimes we need to go slower and get people on board because sometimes what looks like resistance in others is simply that people haven't had a voice 
or how to say, or had soap time, S-O-A-K, soap time, the ability really to, you know, review the plan, think about it, wrap their heads around it, right, before we get the train out, out of the station. So that's the hands leadership. So I, I, you know, having gone through, I don't know, a countless number of projects and change initiatives in my career, I, as we're talking, all of those different initiatives are popping into my heads and I'm seeing what type of leader I was on each of those. And what I recognized is that while I'm now evolved to a heart leader, at moments in time, we're required to use the different skills. And I guess that's why nobody is a zero in any of these. And, you know, it's just get out of the way. Let me go do it myself. Uh, it has to yes. get done, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so just uh, putting a bow on your your particular assessment results. Um, that's right. So when you put head, head, heart, and hands together, you, um, depending on your, the combination of your scores, um, then you uh, you're, uh, get placed in one of seven change leader styles. So head, heart, hands are the biggies. That's the easiest, the simplest, the common language. But it's richer than that, right? So if you score very high on the heart, right, like you did, uh, that's the motivating and supportive coach. Um, and you scored in the 90s. So uh, that's that's a pretty high score. Um, the top score is 200, but there's a strong central tendency bias. So we really don't see many folks scoring over 120 or 130. So a 90s is a pretty high score. If you score very high on the, on the head, you're that visionary change leader, right? If you score very high in the hands, that's what we call the executor. Um, then there's four uh, blended styles. I am the style of the combination of the head and the heart. That's called the champion style. Um, if anybody wants to see a graphic of this, you can just jump on my website, changecatalysts.com, catalyst with an S, and there's a graphic under the what is CQ tab. Uh, but the, cha the champion of the change, um, what we like to do is the head and the heart. We get where the change needs to go. We enjoy motivating and rallying the people to get there. And so we, we champion. The, uh, the neat thing about the triangle is the opposite of the triangle tends to be our blind spot. It's both our blind spot as a leader, right, as well as it's the style that we tend to frustrate the most <laughs> because our styles are so, are so opposite. So my opposite is that high hands executor. So sometimes I love to partner with executors, right, now that I understand how to value, it, value and appreciate them because they enjoy doing things that I don't enjoy doing, right? All the details of the project plan, it's so important, um, and, and it's not something that energizes me. However, I also know that when working with my executor friends, high hands friends, is that instead of being perceived as leveraging my strength as championing, sometimes I can perceive as being more of a cheerleader. Instead of my positive intent of motivating others, I can be perceived negatively as manipulating, as overselling, hmm. right? So this is another thing that's really powerful for people when they build their change intelligence is that um, the idea of being a strength-based model that um, that our, our positive intent is always to leverage our strength, right? However, it can be negatively perceived by others who want and need different things from us and focus on different things during a change cycle. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So sometimes, for example, your style, the high heart coach, the opposite of that style is the head and the hands driver, right? The high head and the high hands driver. Those are folks who get where the change needs to go, love figuring out how to get there, and they want to move forward with the strongest sense of urgency. I would imagine that sometimes, right, when you try to deliver messages to them like, hey, you're not driving towards the change. You're driving over other people. Right. right? You need to slow down. Right. Because that's the way you'll be successful. Right. 
um, that that message might not land well initially, right? Absolutely. Um, Exactly. So I'll stop there and I'll let you speak to that. Yeah, I think we have the folks where we counsel people and say, don't leave dead bodies in your wake, right? Mm -hmm. And they're Mm -hmm. sitting out there saying, listen, I'm going to go get this done. I don't care who I run over to get it done, but we're going to get it done and that's it. And then I'm on the opposite side of that to your point, right, with my score of I'm like, listen, you can still go drive and get it done, but let's figure out how we're going to go do that working with people to make sure that collectively the team achieves it and we don't just have you out there. Sometimes I refer to those people as the heroes, right, those drivers where Mm. they're – they're creating the hero syndrome that they're, they're driving the fire truck to the fire and they're going to put it out and they don't care if they go through a red light and cause an accident. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, hey, mm-hmm. when you get to the light, slow down for a second. Make sure you're not going to hit another car going through that intersection. Um, exactly. And that's one of my favorite exercises to do with teams, which was actually created by um, another one of your interviewees, I believe, Rich Maltzman. Yeah, we had Rich on uh, last show, I believe it was. Well, yeah. And so he, he like um, uh, Steve Fulmore, went through my change intelligence certification program. And, um, and I love when people uh, take the tools and even make them better than I've <laughs> developed them to be. So Rich, for example, um, created this exercise that um, uh, you know, he uses and now I use and others use when we're you know, building a team CQ is to pair the opposite styles together. Right. Mm. And talk about have that transparent dialogue about what frustrates you about that other style. When people behave in this way, what what frustrates you about that? Because, again, um, the idea is that, you know, um, feedback is a gift and we don't know what we don't know. Um, and I wish I had, you know, my joke about myself is every master was once a disaster oh and eat your own dog food. So I don't know <laughs> that I'm a master now, but I know that I made enough mistakes in my career like you just very transparently shared where I was the one who was unintentionally causing resistance in others just by virtue of my style. Trying to go too fast, right? Trying to talk too much, not sit back and listen. Mm -hmm. Um, Thinking people get it when they really need more of the the plans, right? And the tools and the training and, you know, go a little slower versus my zeal to get there. So that's exactly what that kind of exercise helps people and teams do, right? Is really appreciate and then follow that up with not just what frustrates you, but what do you value about the other style, right? Like I love my driver friends because they really, they keep you focused. They keep you intentional, right? They, you know, they can cut through a lot of the, you know, squishy stuff, right? And really help keep us focused on that goal. So that's, so they bring so much to the table and yet they would be so much more powerful to your point if sometimes we would slow down and engage more. Anyway, so that's a very powerful exercise to do, to do with teams. And I hope your listeners um, just got some value out of that by diagnosing their own change intelligence, right? Their own tendency to lead from the heart versus the head versus the hand. And again, it's simple, but it's powerful because immediately you can see, and what most people report doing at this point to me is that they're already thinking about stakeholders that they work with. Of course. (laughs) Right. And what their styles might be and how they can, the goal in it really is how then you can coach each other to engage for change. What I want done when people are approaching me to engage on a project, right, is might look very different than my opposite style executor friends. I want to be engaged with some degree of enthusiasm, right? Um, With some degree of, uh, um, you know, come on, let's all try this together. Let's just jump into it, right? My opposite style is going to want to be engaged with much more planfulness, much more intentionality, much more time to sit back and think and reflect 
before getting on board, right? So again, it really helps us to be able to customize our um, our project leadership. So, you know, I think that leads us to an, another question of, I get this information, but what do I do with it, right? So if I recognize, hey, that stakeholder is more coach and I'm more driver, okay, now I know that, but so what do I do? Yeah, well, that's that's the beauty of change intelligence. It's the awareness, first of all, of your style leaning change, and then your ability to adapt it, your ability to adapt your style to give people what they need to get it, to want it, and to be able to do it. Um, and so that's going to look different, right? With, uh, you know, just like your analogy before, um, different uh, uh, hammers and nails, right? Uh, and, and so it's going to, it's going to, your engagement temps are going to look different. And that's the beauty of customizing your leadership. I always say, though, that I think that the most powerful tool in your change leadership toolkit, whatever style you are, is the ability to ask powerful questions. Mm. The ability to ask powerful questions because that will help you understand where people are coming from. That will help you understand their style, shall we say, and what they really need from you. That will help you understand their sources of resistance. Is it that they don't get it? Is it they don't want it? Is it they can't do it? Basically, is it like kind of cognitive intellectual resistance? Is it behavioral resistance? Is it more emotional resistance? And that will help you be able to target your influence strategy. Yeah, again, thinking outside the box on the, the non-professional world, step out because we all live in the real world. My daughter plays softball, right? She's on a competitive softball team. Some of the dads and I sit back on the sidelines. We're watching this, the game and we're like, geez, why doesn't the coach talk to the girls about teaching them how to play the game better? It's all, you didn't, they talk about what you didn't do, not about how you could have done it differently. And now as I, we talk through this, I'm, the coach of me is sitting there trying to think of the people side of things, whereas the coach is the driver side. And I should go talk to the coach and say, how, how can we adapt your style and my style together for the benefit of the girls to ensure that they become better players. And prior to taking this assessment and this conversation, I just complained about the coaches all the time. I mean, the coaches yeah. don't get it, right? They're just doing it the wrong way. Now I have I a better that. understanding. I love that because I always say too that behind any complaint is a request. Yeah. Behind any complaint is a request. So if you're sitting there in your head complaining about the coach, what is the request that you really have for that coach? Right. Yeah. If your coach, if the coach is complaining about the performance of the girls, what is really the request that that coach has? Right. And the ability to have that powerful conversation where we're both coming at it from a place of curiosity versus judgment. Right. That's I right. always say that it's easy to vilify other people that we're trying to partner with and change. Right. But what you see depends on where you sit. Right. And so it's just like we learned in kindergarten. Right. Walk in other shoes. And the best way to do that is to have that conversation and to ask those powerful questions and to share your perspective of the world, your worldview, your story, right? And then to try to really appreciate theirs. And one of the things that people tell me consistently, one of the most common bits of feedback I get when people go through one of my workshops or participate in the certification program or even read the book, um, and by the way, your listeners can download two free chapters of the book on my website also, that could be an interesting resource, is that it helps them build empathy. It helps them build empathy for other people that, you know, where previously they would um, judge people negatively, make them bad and wrong, vilify them. It really gives them empathy for maybe where they're coming from a lot more. Again, tools for their tool bag because it's simple, but it's actionable that they can use to adapt to change basically the only thing we can, which is ourselves. 
right? That's the only thing we can really change our mindset and behaviors. I, like you, I have two teenagers at home, right? I know I can't control them. I wish I could, right? The only thing I can control is myself. The only thing I can change is myself, right? And it's not really about changing ourselves or others. It's really about adapting our behaviors so we can all be more successful together. Well, I love it. And Again, I, I say this every show, but I can't believe how fast the show goes by. But today, with just the two of us on, I'm really surprised by how fast this went, which just means the content was so enjoyable. Um, so thank you so much for sharing all of this with me and, of course, with the listeners as well. But give you one last opportunity for sharing how folks can get in touch with you or, or the content, the book. Uh, if you have any speaking engagements or, or other information that you want to share that we didn't get to yet. Yeah, absolutely. So I would, I'm very accessible. Um, if people want to go to my website, changecatalyst.com, again, they can download two free chapters of my book. There's video, there's audio, there's other downloadable tools. They can get on my newsletter list where I publish my speaking engagements. I invite people to check out my CQ certification program which is virtual online. You can attend from anywhere in the world. The next session starts in January and it's instructor led by me. Um, Also try to find me on LinkedIn or it's very easy to find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on it Um, and Twitter too. So again, I'm very accessible and I love to, to, you know, speak with people and learn how they're building their change intelligence and the results that they're achieving. Well, thank you again so much for being on the show. Uh, thanks out to Steve who connected us originally and we'll see Steve again in January. He'll be back on the show. So thank you so much for that. And of course, uh, we wouldn't exist if we didn't have listeners. So thank you so much to our audience. The next show will be next Thursday, December 19th, and we're going to switch things up a little bit. I'm actually going to be in the guest seat and Jessica Kuhn from the uh, Make-A-Wish America organization will be serving as host. She's a former guest. And she had a great idea. She said, hey, Joe, how about we talk to you and get your insights? So we're going to look back at 2019 and see what we learned, one of which will be this change intelligence stuff at the top of that list, uh, as well as looking forward to 2020 and see what trends may be coming our way. After that, as we move into next year, we have some additional great guests lined up. uh, And I'm really looking forward to the third season of Project Management Office Hours. I also want to remind everybody to go out to IIL.com and register for the IPM Day Conference and also go out to the PMO Trends Conference, which starts next week. And I'd love to get your feedback on the presentations that we have uh, in both of those conferences. Also, a reminder that these shows are recorded, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast, Project Management Office Hours. You can find that on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, or whatever your podcast platform of choice is. Of course, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad. And that's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe.